0: Hello, I'm Joe Cordell of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. At Cordell & Cordell, we encourage our clients to participate, to recognize how essential their role in this process is. They've got to be willing to help us help them. And by working jointly in a sort of partnership, we're more likely to get the best possible outcome for our clients. And that's really the standard that our clients can fairly hold us to, is what is the best possible outcome for them. So clients who are facing divorce need to recognize that for them to succeed, they need a partnership, a partnership between them and their attorney. The attorneys at Cordell & Cordell work to help men maximize their role in their children's lives. Contact the domestic litigation firm of Cordell & Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firm's San Francisco area attorneys, a partner men can count on. 6503891111. 650-389-1111. Online at CordellCordell.com. That's CordellCordell.com. Offices in San Francisco, San Mateo, and San Jose. Se habla Español. Legal services available in English and Spanish. Kimberly Llewellyn, licensed in California. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Let it bump.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Cavalli coming at you with my esteemed co-host, Andy Bailey. Um, before we get started, we would just like to remind you to please subscribe, rate us, and review us, review us, reviewish, whatever you want to call it, on iTunes. Uh, we would very much appreciate it. Throw those five-star rankings in there. You know you want to. If you're listening to this more than once, you, you better be throwing a five-star rating on there. We'll be forever indebted to you and eternally grateful. And if we ever see you, Andy will give you either the best fist bump or hug that you've ever had in your entire life. So I feel like those are a bunch of reasons to just get on iTunes and rate, review, and, and subscribe to us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about coaches.
0: Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mold the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn, tell people to stay off the lawn, compare it to your neighbor's lawn, and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which of course will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers, discount not available in all or situations.
1: Maybe general managers too will throw them in there that could be on the hot seat to start this season. We didn't get any mid-season coaching changes last year Uh, We already had one this year with Earl Watson getting fired from the Suns. We're just basically, we decided we're going to burn through every team that's below 500 right now, which is actually, well, 500 or worse, and it's actually half the league is 500 or worse as we're recording this. And then we'll throw in a couple wild cards to keep an eye on, even with teams that are above 500. So we know that there aren't issues everywhere, so we won't waste time in certain situations. But that's the topic for today, and and I'm excited. How about you, Bells?
0: i'm excited too um i've got the entire league sorted by win percentage right now and uh I'm, I'm just ready to talk it up i'm feeling reviewish myself i'm going to give give some reviews to some of these coaches
1: uh what do we want to do do you want to go you just want to throw some randos or do you just want to work our way from the bottom up
0: um let's do bottom up that's how i've got it sorted right now uh, the rock. dallas mavericks oh, have a winning percentage of 16.7. They're 3 and 15, currently the worst record in the NBA. Um,
1: they did almost beat the Celtics the other night.
0: Yeah, took them to overtime, right? Um, I've done just like randomly looked up the best teams over the last 20 years in the last couple of weeks. And just about every way you slice it, they've been the second best team in the NBA over the last two decades behind the Spurs. Definitely uh, in
1: terms of consistency, too.
0: Yeah. I, sh- I should say, not in terms of like championships won, since they only have one title in that time frame but like regular season consistency they're number two and so this is this is definitely foreign territory for them not something that they're used to uh, not entirely unexpected either i think anybody who rationally looked at this roster before the season could have seen this coming um, of course their coach is rick carlisle he's been there since before they won the title in 2011 um, i mean he's been there for a while but like I said, I think this was expected. Um, I think he has plenty of um, plenty of deposits saved up in the uh, <laughs> coaching bank, if you will, with the Dallas Mavericks. So I would, I would say his seat's probably not really hot at all.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Unless they're, like, super angry about him not playing New Orleans Noel more, but it seems that Noel's at war with the entire organization. This just feels – I don't know if I would have billed them – You know, if you would have said, hey, let's go to late November, the Mavericks, the worst team in the league, I don't think I would have built Yeah, I probably wouldn't be there. Um, I'm not even sure if I would have put them in the bottom three, but they're supposed to be bad. This is only going to help their draft pick. They need to start selling off pieces, and their bigger question to me, and you talked about this on Twitter earlier today, is what do you do with Harrison Barnes and that money remaining on his contract? I get that he's still young. I get that he gets buckets, but he needs to be on a roster where – the point guard can play on or off the ball and is kind of established. I'm not saying he needs to be the Warriors again with Stephen Curry, but his buckets, they're, I don't want to say they're empty. He's a, he's a fantastic scorer, um, and especially last year too, and he's gotten a little bit better as the season's gone on this year. But he's not, even at 25, a guy that you want to be the, the anchor um, of your team, and I'm not sure he's someone who helps you too much when you're trying to develop uh, a point guard in Dennis Smith Jr., who's just not established. Yeah, so that that would be – I think they need to look at moving him and Wesley Matthews just to free up some cap flexibility and be opportunistic, if not on the free agent market, in those trades where teams are willing to attach first-round goodies in exchange for uh, using your cap space as a, as a salary dumping ground. And I would also just like to add really quickly that I think it's fantastic. Dirk Nowitzki is pretty much just like, yeah, I mean, I've I've won my ranks. So I'm just going to chill here and, and as long <laughs> as I want to play, and it doesn't matter if I'm winning or not.
0: He's – He's more than earned whatever path he wants to finish his career on. Uh, I'm with you. I think the bigger decisions are roster-wise than coaching. I, I still firmly believe in Rick Carlisle as a coach, and I think the front office does too.
1: That brings uh, us to the Atlanta
0: Hawks. Um, what you this is another team.
1: Buck? We know Schlank's not on the hot seat, the GM, because he just Yeah, got he's there.
0: brand new. And I think this is another team that expected a, a bad record coming into this season. Um in fact, in some games, they've, they've kind of looked better than I thought they would, and I think that's in, in large part a credit to Coach Bud. They still they still play solid defense. They still move the ball really well, sort of the hallmarks of, of a Coach Bud team, like those early Hawks teams that he had that were really good. Uh, I think they'll, they'll just continue to ride out this rebuild with him and, and see what he can do with the next iteration of this roster.
1: They have 11 players averaging more than 16 minutes a game. And that – I mean, and 12 of those uh, – excuse me, 10 of those players have played in at least nine games. Uh, nine of them have appeared in at least 10, it looks like. So he's spreading the minutes around. I like that he's using John Collins at all. I'd like to see John Collins more. I talked about I'd, this with Jeff yeah, I'd Siegel. Yeah, I him more. Yeah, I, I'd like – I talked with this – I talked about this, excuse me, with Jeff Siegel of the step back before the season started because Coach Bud was kind of stripped of his executive duties ahead of the year, and it creates this awkward situation, I thought – and I wondered whether he was still a part of the team's long-term plans. And by looking at his rotation, we might see whether he's on the same page as the front office. And I think thus far, you can probably say that it looks like he is. I mean, if we want to split hairs and say you need to play um, John Collins more, at the same time, Dwayne Dedman is good, and you probably want to showcase him for a midseason trade. Um, so, And th- they don't necessarily have the wing depth uh, youth-wise. You know, They're playing Torrey and Prince a bunch a bunch of minutes. They had uh, Bembry, who's been dealing with uh, injuries uh, for most of the season, so you can't claim that he hasn't necessarily played enough. So you can't get too mad that Kent Bazemore has been playing all these minutes. I, I don't think his seat is particularly hot, because it does seem that he is on the same page with the front office. I know. Again, I, we know things get awkward when you're kind of bringing in the new general manager, and that, that regime upstairs kind of changes, especially when it comes at the expense of some power of the current head coach. But I don't know. I, I don't think he's he's on the hot seat. And it's certainly if they make a change, I, I could not see it happening in the middle of the season when they were supposed to be bad.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And in terms of John Collins' minutes, I, I wouldn't be surprised if by, like, January February he's up around 30 a game. Um, or from that point on. Last – I think they played last night. Yeah. In their game last night, he, he played 36 minutes and went 10 of 12 from the field. I, I think we're going to see more games where he tops and, 30.
1: And, I mean, over his last nine, it's been almost 25 minutes a game, which is fine. Yeah, so even that's an uptick. And, so, and, and it's like you do have to find minutes for Deadman because he's good. And, like I said, I think you want to showcase him for a trade. And you also you have Mike Muscala, too. I, I'm not—it'd be cool to see him play more. He's just bouncy and fun, and I talked about this. He has, like, the backpedaling gait and bounce of DeAndre Jordan, except it seems like he has a quicker reload time when he's getting back above the rim. Um, I, I just— I'm fine with it, and that's probably—you know, if we were talking about this right now and Collins wasn't even clear in, like, 12 or 15 minutes a game, uh, that could have been—then maybe you put Butt on the hot seat because he doesn't seem too interested in developing guys, but yeah, he's really given Torian Prince some free reign this year, out of necessity, of course, but you have John Collins in there, and it's tough to carve out a ton of minutes for him, Muscala, and Deadman. I think after the trade deadline, we'll probably see this team— have made a move by then with one of their bigs in the front court that's not named John Collins, and maybe that's where his uptick, his further uptick, will come from.
0: Yep, I'm in on all that. Um, next up, we have the Bulls. They have a they're three and eleven right now, and again, another team that wasn't supposed to be good coming into the season. I think there may be a little bit more to this one though, just because there's been rumblings about Hoiberg basically since the day he took the job. Um, <laughs> The Bulls are a—they're a, generally a higher-profile team than the Hawks and the Mavericks. I, I think you could quibble over whether or not they're higher-profile than the Mavericks for the last ten years, but um, just like franchise history, cachet type of thing, the Bulls are, are still a pretty big deal. He—he um, he had a hard time with Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose, and he's bristled with a bunch of different people. There's the whole. Um, Bobby Portis, uh, Nikola Miritich situation. Uh, I just I feel like there's more ingredients here for his seat to be kind of hot, but at the same time, this is <laughs> this is really the first time they're kind of molding something with him in place. Like he he was when he was brought in, he had a roster that didn't really fit what he wanted to do, and I think that was sort of the token excuse for him the first couple of years. Um, so now maybe you give him a chance to mold young guys into to his vision and his style. Maybe they'll give him some time to do that. But um, I guess if we had to rate in, in terms of hotness, the first two I, I'd say were like a, a one out of ten maybe. All this right, one so I – Do one probably, to tens? All right. Okay. Two, one, this one I'll probably go – Mavericks, yeah, recap.
1: Mavericks, one. Rick Carlisle, one. Hawks, <laughs> Coach Bunnell's are. I'm just going to say, say two. I'll say two. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> just to switch it up. I'm going to, or Hoiberg, I'm going to say four, just because I feel like there is a slight chance something could happen. But I still think uh, you know, if I had to call one way or the other, I'd probably say he sticks it out this year.
1: Do you know why he would be on the hot seat? Let's hear it. It would, it would be because Gar Foreman and John Paxson are just trying to extend the window of their jobs. They're the ones that should yeah. be on <laughs> the hot that's seat. That's a good point. And. If you look at this roster, it's still not Fred Hoiberg's roster. Uh, Laurie Markkinen is playing fantastic, better than I expected him to play. Way better than I expected, too. You know what's fun? You need to look at his per-36-minute splits as a rookie and compare them to Dirk Nowitzki's sophomore per-36-minute splits. It's going to be a little bit eye-opening. Very similar. Um, Yeah, so you should go check that out when you get a chance. I I just— I don't know your justification for getting rid of him beyond we just need to go in a different direction. Like you said, they have the Portis and the Miritich stuff. Maybe he's not connecting with the players. But they haven't given him the roster, the personnel that he needs to coach his style. They still haven't. Zach Levine maybe brings you a little bit closer because you finally have that electric ball handler but you're not quite there yet because you still need to play a more traditional big at the 5. Uh, again, the Laurie Markkinen at, at the 5 would be fantastic lineups. We don't even know if Nicole Mirotic is going to play for this team again with, with the way things are headed. I He shouldn't be on the hot seat. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get canned over the summer as sort of this reset from the Bulls front office again to say, well, hey, we're building this thing from the ground up. We're going to need more time so that Garpax gets additional leeway from ownership, he should not be on the hot seat. But I'm gonna put him. I'll throw him if. We're, are we talking specifically mid season? Because then I'm gonna put him at a three. Because I don't yeah, know. Yeah, let's
0: how, let's say specifically mid season. Yeah,
1: then I'll say a three, and that might even just be high because the Bulls are supposed to be terrible, and I, something like something. I don't know what would have to happen. Like guard packs would have to feel like their jobs. Are coming under siege for them to make a move midseason now, so I, I basically think he's fine. But it'll like him and Bud that might be those might be situations that'll be interesting to revisit over the offseason.
0: Okay, uh, we got Tangs three and a four for the Bulls, and yep, moving on to the Kings. Um, I'll let you start on this one.
1: I don't the the Kings are. I I think he's fine. Dave Yeager's fine. Um, I don't know what they would have expected from this roster and. I, I We can probably split hairs about some of his minutes distributions for the youngsters. Like I, I don't want to see Zach Randolph on the floor basically ever, that he's clearing no. 23 minutes a game is a borderline basketball travesty. But the Kings have nine players averaging more than 20 minutes per game, all of whom have appeared in at least 14 games. Like, that's—he's he's spreading it around. Even if Scal is averaging 17-plus minutes a game uh, through 17 appearances. So, like, that's your—he's basically going 10 deep at least. Who's,
0: like, one of the guys that needs to be on the floor for development. Right.
1: But is that a per? you know, if you were going to give Dave Yeager veterans, can you tell him don't play Zach Randolph? I, I don't know that you can necessarily do that. This seems like another one of those instances in Dallas. No, Dave Yeager hasn't built up the goodwill, but— Look at the personnel. It's just they need to open up minutes by moving people for some of these kids. I I do agree. Again, he could cut Zach Randolph's minutes in half, and hopefully that's what he'll do leading in or after the All-Star break or something. But he seems like he's just kind of spreading it around and taking this Brooklyn Nets approach from last season where you don't have anyone averaging 30 minutes per game. I I just I have trouble manufacturing like any sort of DEFCON whatever for his job security. I, I'm going to say I'm going to put him at a two just because he's the king, so you never know. But he's still fairly new to the situation. They've just hit reboot. It would make zero sense to kind of get rid of him now unless you think he's being indefensibly unfair to any of your youngsters. And if that's the case, then you know what? Maybe you shouldn't have given all this money to Zach Randolph and George Hill.
0: That's a good point. I mean, it was really the front office who put him in this situation by signing Randolph and Hill to those big deals and signing Vince Carter as well. Um, but man, after like a week of the season, I, I mean, it should have been to me. It should have been clear from before the season that the guys who need to play are the young guys. Um, I, I didn't think this roster was ever built to compete for like even tenth or eleventh in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a week and, and kind of seeing the landscape of the West and how your team looks I it, it's beyond time to prioritize minutes for the young guys in my mind um, I mean I totally I totally agree with you like it's it's hard as a coach when you've got two veterans making over 10 million how mu- how much is Randolph making is he making over 10 million, million a year or two yep jeez um, <laughs> so yeah I don't know how you sit them but at some point they have to they have to do something, either, like you said, move them midseason or just kind of sit them down and say, listen, um, this maybe isn't the situation you guys signed up for. But what's best for the organization at this point is for us to, to prioritize development for these young guys. So we're going to have to cut your minutes down to, you know, 16, 17 a game. Um, you know, I don't know how that goes over. Obviously, I've never had a conversation like that with an NBA veteran. Uh, Shame on you. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I say all this acknowledging the points that you made too it's it's kind of hard to saddle the blame with Jaeger when it was the front office who put him in this situation so you gave him a two right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm gonna say three just because I I'm I I think I'm less sold on Jaeger as a coach generally so I'm gonna go three on that one
1: I I think that's fair I just at this point I think it's up to the organization to would be to tell him if the, it's different if the Kings have said we need to play the young guys and he's not even giving Buddy Healed twenty five minutes a game for the yeah. entire season. But I don't know that we've had an indication that he's done that. And it's probably time to look at moving Garrett Temple. You're not trading Zach Randolph. You probably still could move George Hill, although you're not. I think somebody get a first round. Yeah, pick I was going to say. I
0: think somebody could at least. There might be somebody out there that wants George Hill. Uh,
1: but also the glut of bigs in the front court just makes it difficult. You have Randolph and Kufos. That's a little bit on. Jaeger. Like I think both those guys Kupo, be averaging Kupas tw- is 20 another
0: 20. guy that – he's another guy that uh, I think a team might want. I think he's a serviceable backup big, Kupas.
1: Oh, for sure. I just don't – do you want to give that player $8 million a year? I mean he has a player option this year that he probably won't decline would be my guess given yeah, the market true. for bigs. So uh, it's – Again, it seems like a personnel decision, but he's owed eight point seven million next year, which just seems like a lot all of a sudden. He's making eight point four this year. The contract is fine, but it's I don't know that someone will jump at it. So um I, I don't He really
0: is think. the only I'm looking at this now, the only Kings player with over a hundred minutes that has a positive box plus minus, Costa Kufis.
1: Well, keep playing him then. He's a future.
0: <laughs> um Okay. So we got two and three for the this Kings. Next, I next think one's going to be interesting. Yeah. I think this one is our first real, um, conversation. The Los Angeles Clippers started five and two. They are on a nine game losing streak. Now they haven't had Patrick Beverly for a lot of that. They haven't had Daniel Gallinari for, I think all of that losing streak. Um, so maybe you can give them a little bit of a pass with injuries, but I think generally speaking, the Clippers are a mess and, uh, it's it's not hard to place some of the blame on Doc Rivers. Um, I've I've long thought that his reputation was maybe slightly uh, ahead of actual performance demonstrably.
1: Uh, but go ahead.
0: The Clippers have been great regular season teams since he's been there. They've their their playoff struggles are obviously well documented. Um, you can't really say anything about him as an executive now, although he's still coaching the roster that he helped put together um so i I think there's a lot of there's a lot of signs pointing to him being in actual trouble
1: oh for sure and so they're 1-11 over their last 12 like you said including losing um, yeah because i guess they started
0: 4-0 huh yeah
1: and they've had the worst defense in the league during that time which is saying something because the cavaliers were pretty bad for more than a minute there. They are one of the worst. They don't allow a ton of shots at the rim, and some of that's just this natural, oh, crap, DeAndre Jordan's on the floor. Like, you'll see teams settle for mid-ranges. But they're allowing 67% shooting at the rim, which is the fourth worst mark in the league, behind only the Wizards, Mavericks, and Timberwolves. I don't know what this team's identity is. They can still be a good offensive team with Blake Griffin on the floor. I don't—and I'm sure they'll be even better at some point when Daniil Gallinari gets back. But what, what is their real—are we looking at an elite offense? It looked like for a minute that we could be when they're at full strength. Their defense seems hopeless, though. Uh, Daniil Gallinari was probably their switchiest defender before he went down. There's Cendarius Thornwell, who's who's very interesting, and NBA Matt's own Addis Pinello was praising him to me before the season, and he's looked kind of fun on the defensive end, too, but— You don't have the personnel on the perimeter to to really switch or to be like this world-beater on the defensive end. And I don't—you know, that's a personnel issue. They don't have a lot of trade assets. It's probably time to start looking at moving on from DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I I don't know who else on this roster would be desirable that you could even realistically try and move. I mean, Patrick Beverly, obviously, but do you really want to get rid of that contract? He's basically the centerpiece of the Chris Paul trade. And when you look at that, the easiest thing to change then would be— Doc Rivers, who's been there for about a half a decade now, and he's kind of saddled them with the these weird first-round pick obligations up till this season. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get fired mid-year. Um, I, my guess would be that they'll let Daniel Gallinari come back. It seems like he's still a week, week and a half away, and he, they'll see if maybe the roster can kind of get back in the playoff conversation, and then maybe they'll make a decision then. But if they continue down this path and we see this losing streak reach 12, 13 games or something, that's when the calls for his job are going to get loud. And I don't – this would be my prediction. I don't think you move DeAndre Jordan and keep Doc Rivers. It seems like one is going to lead to the other, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does make sense. Um, I think I'm probably going to put him at a 5. I'm going
1: to put him at a 7.
0: I'm gonna run through. Uh, he's not the executive. I mean, he's not really in the front office anymore, so this isn't like a, a fair thing to throw at him. But I found a list of ac- like Clippers acquisitions since he took over in the front office. Um, trade for Jared Dudley and JJ Reddick, That's good. Darren Collison. Signed Darren Collison. That's good. Signed Byron Mullins. Yikes. Um, signed Anton Jamison probably a yikes at that point in his career uh steven jackson hito turkalu sasha vujicic glenn davis danny granger spencer Hawes, jordan farmar chris douglas roberts jared cunningham dante jones um austin rivers jordan hamilton like how many of these guys
1: <laughs> right and didn't he give he gave up a first round pick to get rid of jared dudley that was That's that true. trade right
0: yeah. So it wasn't even. Um, which is, and I think one of the one of the most egregious things they did was those huge contracts they gave to Rivers, uh, West Johnson, and Jamal Crawford all in the same uh, offseason. And two of those guys are still on the team um, with player so options
1: for next year that they are no <laughs> not going to decline.
0: Oh no, he has saddled himself with this roster that's obviously problematic, um, and he's not really. I mean, there's nothing he's really doing coaching-wise to to alleviate in that pressure from himself. So um, you have him at a 7, I've got him at a 5. Um, I think the next one's... Oh,
1: wait, would you like a fun fact, though, about that Jared Dudley trade really quick?
0: Yes, I would.
1: They traded a first-round pick uh, to the Bucks with Jared Dudley for Carlos Delfino, Miroslav, Radulica... Wow, Radulica. Radulica, and yeah. a second-round pick that became Marcus Page... Their first round pick, um, which did not end up with the Bucks, but that turned into uh, OG Anuobi. Oh wow! So it's just like that, and he looks good. <laughs> so in Toronto, yeah,
0: he's, he's been one of the best rookies in the league this year, actually.
1: So you know that's why first round. Picks and another are thing
0: with uh, I was going to say another that that makes me think of another issue with Doc is they've had a lot of late first round picks, um, but there was reasons for optimism for some of those guys, and he just hasn't developed anyone. There isn't a, I can't think of a single first-rounder that's been um, with the Clippers since he's been there that, that turned into much of anything. Bryce Johnson agrees with you. <laughs> yeah, he was one I was thinking of. Um, the Brooklyn Nets are next. They're 6-10. and ten. We don't need to and spend yet, any time on them. Kenny Atkinson say, is Kenny like a, a godsend in that franchise. This is only his second year, right? Yep.
1: And, and he's, he's just, been great.
0: Yep. He's obviously helped D'Angelo wrestle. This is this is. A zero, if we can go there. I'm going to go negative one. My okay. Got you. <laughs> uh, the Utah Jazz seven and eleven. I think with injuries to Rudy Gobert and and Dante Exum and losing Gordon Hayward, I I think there's, um, I think it was fair to expect them to be about where they are this season.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Yeah it's tough just because the problems with them even when they were fully healthy was the problems that everyone thought they were going to have which was this lack of shot creation and he can't turn these players into great shot creators they were lucky to even see that Donovan Mitchell was as nba ready as he is so i i i don't know what you could you put him on like what would have to have nothing like is there i'm trying to think of what a scenario would be for him to lose his job and it's not, we're probably talking about someone who'll be on the hot seat next year.
0: I'm yeah. And on. I, I think, uh, I think Utah's front office is really patient about stuff like this too. Um, I, I would probably go with a zero on this one too. I don't think there's any chance he'd get fired this season.
1: I'm with you. And that uh, that brings us to the Phoenix Suns who have already fired their coach. I'm interested to see who they hire uh, this
0: summer. Yeah, obviously they'll probably write it out with Jay Triano so we can we can skip that one.
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh that
0: that brings us to the Lakers. Nope.
1: You can't they're like they're on Nets level with Luke Walton. Even though yeah. was, even though LeVar Ball came out today and said that he doesn't like the way Luke Walton's coaching Lonzo. Whoa, I didn't see that. Oh, you didn't? What did no. he say? He was like, No one knows how to coach my son, only I know how to it was just like, you know, it was a typical yeah. LeVar um yeah. response. It was this. They're soft. They don't know how to coach my son. I know how to coach him. And that was from Bleacher Reports, Eric Pinkus. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a
0: zero too. Is this his second or third year there?
1: To second, right? Yep. It's his second. So Okay.
0: Yeah, he's he's beyond safe.
1: He was part of the reason uh, why like it was just we had all those like new coaches fresh into their tenures that there weren't any coaching changes like leading into this year initially. Uh yeah. the, the Miami Heat. Are up next seven and nine they are not good on the offensive end I think they're starting to realize if they didn't already know that their tear to finish the season last year and get to 41 wins wasn't necessarily a reflection that they were on the cusp of being this 50-something win juggernaut they were just a 41 win team that started off bad and then really hit a stride to to close the year um I can't imagine them getting rid of Coach Eric Spoelstra willingly. I would think that he would have to, like, ask for out or something or resign. I couldn't – I would have to go one, just like we went for the Lakers, a one with Luke Walton. I would have to go a one with him. They would be stupid to get rid of him because he's, like – He's one of the better tactical coaches in the league. Just the things he's able to do with spacing for lineups that don't necessarily include a bunch of good shooters, I, I think is fantastic. And he's helped unlock some of the best versions of guys like James Johnson and Deion Waiters and and Wayne Ellington. I just don't know why you would ever voluntarily get rid of him at this point.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere either. I'd put him at a 1 or a 0. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, zero, I, zero,
1: zero, 0, for
0: him and Luke Walton. I think he's a – I think his career is going to be a lot like Rick Carlisle's. Like he could – the Maver- or the, the Heat could uh, not even sniff title contention for the next like five or six years, and I don't think he would be in trouble because I think he's a great coach, and I think he earned himself plenty of time with those two titles that he won with LeBron. Um, um,
1: absolutely. But do you want to know what would be my dream scenario? Is him resigning and then going to the Knicks? but. <laughs> the Knicks can stick it to the heat like the heat. A did man, the dream.
0: Rally. That'd be the uh, ultimate petty move. How about the Memphis Grizzlies, who <laughs> I was just thinking about this yesterday. This is another thing we talked about in our sustainable podcast a couple weeks ago that is not looking quite as good as it did then. We both had them, I think, as a playoff lock. They are now 7 and 9. Um,
1: I'm going to tell you why I'm still there. Okay, not, go for it. I'm not moving away. From, like, the bench has been not as good over the— So the, the first eight games of the season, their second unit was outscoring opponents by 13.5 points per 100 possessions, by far and away the best mark in the league. That ranking has plunged over the last eight games to 22nd, through which the Grizzlies are 2-6. and six. They have not been healthy. Jermichael Green and Ben McElmore just came back— but Mike Conley's not playing with some Achilles issues. They've churned through a bunch of different starting fives at this point. They're up to, I believe it's six. And when you don't have one of your best players in, in Conley, I don't know what you're expecting. And because you had to do all this tinkering with the starting five, their past two games, they've rolled with Parsons, Chalmers, Dylan Brooks, Gasol, and Michael Green. Three of those guys were members of an all-bench unit that was destroying opponents at the beginning of the year so you're displacing all these guys from their roles i know the grizzlies are getting healthier i need to see them at full strength and failing before i'm ready to just panic there and they're not getting rid of fizzdale anyway because he's kind of helped them become a more modernized team particularly on the offensive end and it seems like the players really respond to him he's also only in his second year so I I ultimately think they're going to be fine when me and you were getting all up in our feels and talking about oh my god like maybe they just run off 48 or something that's clearly probably not going to happen I'm still just going to trend toward Playoff team with them unless something more is wrong with Mike Conley because they're they're I firmly believe now that they're deeper than advertised after watching them just because they have a lot more odds and end talent than I initially credited them for. Tyreek Evans hasn't really slowed down; he's been really good. Parsons can still shoot pretty well, and if you're bringing him off the bench as opposed to in the starting lineup against second units, I, I think you will be fine in the end. It comes back to now that you're getting mostly everyone else healthy. Uh, I know they're still waiting on Wayne Selden. But once you get Mike Conley healthy, I think things will start to stabilize, and you know maybe they won't be this five and one superpower that we saw at the beginning of the year, but they'll be closer than not to that level.
0: Yeah, I think they'll probably still compete for a playoff spot. Um, I'm I'm backing away swiftly from my. Well, the Clippers loss and Jazz are helping
1: them. them too. Like those That's teams true. are kind of like fading out of it, so that that would and also be another reason.
0: The other thing with the Grizzlies is. I mean, yeah, they're hurt right now, but they've they've dealt with injuries a lot the last few years, so I think it's safe to assume they might deal with it more this year. Now, they've been really good at dealing with injuries over the last couple seasons. They generally seem to outperform, you know, the way they should play when Gasol goes down or Conley goes down or somebody else goes down. But um, I think this again, I think they'll probably still compete for a playoff spot. I just I'm nowhere near a lock for them. And David Fisdale, I mean, back to the topic of this show. I this is year two for him as well. We've talked about a lot of second year coaches. I think this is another guy that's nowhere near a hot seat.
1: No, nope, I'm gonna I'd put him in a zero. I'd go as I'd put him with the Luke Walton and the Eric Boelstra a zero. Yeah,
0: I'm there too. Another seven and nine team we have is the Hornets. Um, and we talked about Clifford possibly being on a hot seat, I think, in our last episode. So this is a bit of a rehash on this one um we i i looked over his coaching record from the last four or five years all with charlotte it's it's somewhat underwhelming actually um but they just got nicholas batum back Mm -hmm. i think charlotte may may give him some time to kind of see what the team looks like with a fully healthy roster they're outscoring opponents by i think it was like 12 points per hundred possessions when batum's on the floor so i i think they're going to give him some time. I don't think he's as safe as these other guys that we've talked about here in the last few minutes. Um, so I'm going to go with a three for him.
1: Well, so what made me I, I was just concerned because of the record they've won two straight as we're recording this, um, but after that loss to the Bulls, where Kemba just like went supernova and they, they yeah, still lost. That was lost. bad. That was bad. And then Rick Bonnell of the Charlotte Observer, who is very I don't know what the word would be, but he like he's not going to like write something offhandedly said that there was an interview um, when Steve Clifford was kind of talking about why he benched Malik Monk, which Malik Monk, excuse me, which might've been a catalyst for what's happening now because they've, I hate to say this, but they put Michael Carter Williams in his a little bit longer. He fits that defensive
0: uh, m- and model Monk's shooting has been, yeah, he like... had
1: like a couple, someone got at me on Twitter because I was saying how the Charlotte Hornets still need someone to run the offense in Walker's absence. And Monk had like a. Two or three or four games span where he was okay, and yet the offense was still shit with him on the floor. And it was like, hey, you haven't been watching the Hornets. Um, I, so it. But Brick Bonnell said that this was the first time that he had ever gotten the sense since Clifford had been there that his job was in jeopardy. And like for him to write that even as an opinion, it just kind of carried weight with me. And yeah. I'm, I don't think. I I don't think he's safe. I'm probably going to put him at a five because the easiest thing for them to change right now would be the coach, and if they're not going to be a solid playoff team where we can call them a lock in the Eastern Conference, that's going to be an issue because the the only other option you have would be to begin this teardown, and I'm not sure they're willing to do that because the Hornets have gone to great lengths to remain mediocre, and they're in this weird position where none of their contracts are terrible, I would say. I don't look at Marvin Williams's, uh, the three years remaining on his deal as uh Nicholas Batum is owed over, if you include this season, he's owed over $100 million over the next four years. Like, that's eh, but he's a great switcher on defense. Dwight Howard at, at two years and um, 47 and change million. Like, eh. But, like, these guys aren't movable. Kemba Walker's contract's fantastic. Cody Zeller's contract is kind of blah. He's in the first year of that four year extension. So the easiest thing for them to change would be. Uh, The coach, because Kemba Walker is the only asset they have that's going to net them like anything of supreme value to begin a rebuild with. And that's why I put him at a five. But I think they're going to give him time to see this true because let's uh, through let's not forget. Not only were they missing Nicholas Batum uh, for just until the past four games, I believe, but they didn't have Michael K. Gilchrist who was dealing with uh, personal issues for part of the season, and now that you are you have these guys back and you're running the rotation as you want and maybe you're getting a little bit more stability on the defensive end to give yourself an identity because they were finding they couldn't really carve out anything offensively, particularly when you still have Dwight Howard uh, eating up some post-ups. And one of the encouraging things for me would be in the 100 minutes or so that Batum, Kid Gilchrist, and Kemba Walker have played this season – The Hornets are scoring 113.4 points per 100 possessions, which would rank right behind the Houston Rockets who have – oh, excuse me, right behind the Golden State Warriors who have the NBA's best offense. They're allowing 99.6 points per 100 possessions, which would be a top-four defensive mark. So they're outscoring opponents by more than 13 points per 100 possessions. It's closer to 14. I know 100 minutes isn't anything to sneeze at. It's only four games. But you have those three there. Those are your three most versatile players, basically, and that's your blueprint now. And we'll see where – They go from here. Maybe they were just getting a bunch of bad breaks, and now that I know that I'm rambling, but I would put him at a five just because if they don't, if we're looking, let's say, mid-January into February and they're not in the Eastern Conference's playoff picture soundly, that's when you have to start to look at, hey, maybe the voice has grown stale and we just need someone who might prioritize more on the offensive end.
0: And that happens sometimes. Like even, Even good coaches, players, after a while might start tuning them out. I say that as
1: a huge Steve Clifford fan too. I think um, I think he's good
0: too. Yeah, the
1: offense has been weird for me this year. I haven't been impressed by what they're running, but he has been over over the past few years. I would say he's adapted to his
0: personnel uh, very well on both sides of the ball. Uh, speaking of offenses that haven't been oh boy super impressive, um, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now this team is actually kind of weird to me because I'm pretty sure they still have like a comfortably positive. The net fifth rating? best
1: net rating in the league.
0: Yeah, which is wild. <laughs> um, it's wild to see that for a team that's 7-9 and nine, this this far into a season. I, I think that's extremely rare. I actually looked up their clutch net ratings today. You don't want to um, do that. I think I've got them. Oh, here they are. In the clutch, which the NBA defines as the last five minutes of a game when the score's within five points, um... They're minus 48.5 points per 100 possessions with Westbrook on the floor. Same with Paul George. Minus 48.4 with Mello, minus 23.7 with Roberson. Minus 56.1 with Steven Adams. Uh, minus 54.1 with Jeremy Grant. So, I mean, obviously this is a long way of saying they're really bad in tight games so far. Can you far. name
1: the one team overall that has a worse net rating than the Thunder in the Clutch?
0: I can't. The Clippers.
1: Oh, the Clippers are it. actually getting outscored by negative fifty-one point one points per hundred possessions. I don't know why I said negative. They're going to outscore more than fifty points per hundred possessions overall in the clutch. And the Thunder. Just I want you to keep going. But the Thunder are now one in eight in those nine games that they've seen crunch time, which is if you flip even half those losses, yeah, that's crazy. Wins like we're talking about a completely different season.
0: Yeah, and I think late game collapses. It's it's pretty easy to point the finger. At a coach, and I and I think if you watch the Thunder in some of these games, um, they're very iso heavy throughout the game, and I think that's been a problem that's plagued Russell Westbrook led teams for a while, and it's it's maybe not something that any coach would be able to remedy, um, but it's especially bad in these tight games that they found themselves in this season. Um, just the lack of offensive creativity and and just sort of a my turn, your turn. Type of offense that they have going, um, it's just it's just not really working right now. Obviously, they're seven and nine. Yes, the, the 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 net rating is good, and I think you could probably point to that and say they're going to start getting some of these wins that they're they're supposed to get. Um, but ultimately, it's about wins and losses. And uh, with this much talent and this much on the line for the Thunder this season, I mean, this is basically a year long audition for Paul George. So. This is. I I think this one might be every bit as serious as Doc Rivers. I think I gave Doc a five, so I'm going to go with a five for Billy Donovan too.
1: I, so you're in your year-long audition for Paul George. You're going to get rid of the head coach mid-season to showcase what your stability. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's part of it. For that, that would be tough. But I mean, here's my here's my issue with them. Carmelo Anthony and Paul George are shooting a combined seven of twenty-five. In the clutch. That's not Billy Donovan. They're shooting two of 13 from three combined in the clutch. One of the issues that I think they have, and the players have talked about this, is they're almost afraid to step on each other's toes still. Russell Westbrook leads the team in crunch time field goal attempts with 22, but you can even see, and he's shooting pretty good in the clutch 45.5% overall and 37.5% from three. He's one of four from the foul line, which is just weird as hell. But anyway, You can even see it with him that sometimes he's pressing and he's not sure whether he should attack or try to defer to Anthony or George. You have Carmelo who takes a while to attack because he's not sure whether he should or he should give it back to Westbrook. You have Paul George who kind of just sometimes during these close games seems to just meander in the corner or just somewhere above the arc, and they need to figure out how that's going to work. And Carmelo Anthony said this the other day that they all need to be more selfish to an extent when they have the ball, and that's probably oversimplifying it, which would bring me to... A second problem that's they haven't really talked about, you're able to juggle their minutes a little bit better throughout the game. You can stagger and do these different things, but in the clutch, you have to have all three of them on the floor at the same time, and there's just no way around that, and so that that's where striking the balance becomes paramount and more difficult because they are actually, you're all of a sudden dealing with them on the floor at the same time when these games matter,
0: these most crucial points I just don't think he's striking that balance in those minutes, the, though.
1: Yeah, I guess. I, I, if, just have trouble. I mean, it's
0: not fully up to the coach. I think Westbrook has probably as much or more to do they're with just, it but than like, him, but it's go just, ahead.
1: They're not a ta- like, it, it's – I get. are we going to blame collective timidness relative to the play style of these three players on the coach? If we're going to do that, then, yes, he absolutely needs to be on the hot seat. But, like, I'm just – Oklahoma City's 27th in free throw rate like, in the clutch. Like, these guys need to be attacking the basket more, and that's that's been a problem with Melo. It's been a problem with George, too, and and Russell Westbrook in crunch time in the past. Like, these guys, they kind of pull up when they should be attacking the basket. So I would give him maybe a three with a soft four. I just don't know when you're trying to impress Paul George whether getting rid of the coach is, is the best decision to make. I agree he has nowhere near been creative enough, and I think you could even say that last season but my counterpoint to that would be is what are you going to be able to do inventive like what are you able going to be do in terms of invention with russell westbrook as your point guard and that's not a shot at westbrook it's, it's, just it's he's definitely the ball guy
0: yeah I'll, I'll, I'll give you that and the point about um looking unstable if you fire the coach midseason i think that's probably fair too and i would have no way of knowing this but if if paul george wanted to trade or a change I think that would certainly um, figure into the calculus. But again, I, I, there's no chance. There's no way I could know that. Um, so I gave them a five. You got a three and a half, I'll say, for Billy Donovan. Um, next up is the Magic. This is another coach who's in just his second season with the team. It's still a pretty young roster. They were really overachieving for the first part of this season. I think they're on a four game losing streak, maybe even five. Five now. Uh, I F- should look that up. F- yeah, they lost
1: to the Pacers. Yeah, five.
0: But, um, like I said, I think they were playing above where they were supposed to for those first few games before this losing streak. I think he's fine. I, I would probably put him at a one.
1: It's going to be interesting to see whether they can regain their offensive mojo because they ranked 25th in points scored per 100 possessions over these past five games. But
0: they have some— You know what's—I uh, had—hold uh, on. Go, keep talking. i got to find something.
1: They're going to have. They are going to have some tough decisions to make over the summer. I don't think they'll even need to reevaluate Frank vonkel's job security then, just because he has been more open to trying things this year on the offensive end. You have Nikola Vucevic and uh, or and Aaron Gordon. They have like this unconditional green light from three. Jonathan Simmons has looked mostly good. But what's going to happen with Peyton and Gordon both entering restricted free agency? Even if you just pay Gordon, like this is all of a sudden just your team. Nikola Vujevic is due a contract in 2019. you probably let him walk then would be my guess, and trading him for anything of value would be difficult just because we know how oversaturated the league is with bigs. You're not going to move Biombo, who's making $17 million per year this season and then two more after that. Evan Fournier is interesting because he's making $17 million a year for this season and then three more after it. But we don't necessarily know, uh, if he can be a featured option on, on a good playoff team. So this might be a good case study for that. But with the coaching specifically, uh, they would have to like completely check out on him and lose like 15 straighter or something crazy like that.
0: Yeah. And I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, their offense has kind of faltered in these last few games. Um, I just looked this up today before this streak, Aaron Gordon was shooting 57% from the field and 60% from three during the streak. He's shooting 41% from the field and 23% from three. Um, That's just him specifically. And there's probably other guys on the roster that are due for a regression at some point. Um, Fournier or Vucevic's three point percentage could come down a few points. Simmons probably could. So it's, I think this, the beginning of the season for them was just sort of unrealistic. Uh, I think this is closer to the team that they actually are, but it's, it's certainly not again. This is another team that was this, this sort of play wasn't really unexpected. So I, I'm going to go with a one for him.
1: I'm with you there. Our final team that isn't a wild card. And we know that you're going to have to go in a couple minutes uh, would be the Milwaukee bucks with Jason Kidd. They're eight. eight. just got Eric Bledsoe. They were on kind of a roll there, but now they've lost two straight. Uh, hovering around five hundred isn't good enough for this team, in my opinion, when they're supposed to be making noise in the Eastern Conference. And you're definitely going to have to adjust to Eric Bledsoe being there. But their their defensive scheme, like it's just the, the hyper aggressive approach where they're trying to chase turnovers. Like it's it's not it's it's not working as well anymore and we've talked about this on the podcast before it looked like they caught the league off guard a few years ago when they were the second best defensive team that's just it's it's not there and uh on the season they, they're they in the top half of defense efficiency now i think after um are 14th is that no that's wrong but it's their defense just hasn't been good oh i'm looking at the last five games they've been 14th over the last five games which is fine um but you're three and two over that stretch, and they're 22nd in points uh, points allowed per 100 possessions for the season. Um, I just something needs to give there. They don't have necessarily an, an elite offensive machine. Uh, maybe getting Parker back will help that a little bit. Maybe integrating Eric Bledsoe will help a little bit more. But you pointed this out. A lot of people on Buck's Twitter don't seem to like Jason Kidd. His rotations can be weird. It seems players just meander in and out of his doghouse at will. I, I don't know, honestly, where I'd put him. I don't think they would make the change mid season, so I'm inclined to go like th- two or three just because I think that'd be something they'll revisit over the offseason. I do believe that he kind of holds some cachet in the Bucks organization still, even with the front office change, uh, regime change. Uh, that's just where I end up with him, and I'm I'm not really even sure uh, how to spin it.
0: Yeah, I'm not as down on him as a lot of people seem to be either. Um I agree the defensive scheme is weird. I, I was just looking this up while you were talking. Um, so they're giving up 106.5 points per 100 possessions. Like you said, that's 22nd in the NBA. When they have Anadokumpo and Henson on the floor together, it's all the way down at 101.3. And I think they that recently became the starting center, right, Henson? Yeah. So maybe maybe as that lineup accrues some more minutes, maybe the, de- the defense will start to look a little bit better. Um, the one, one thing with Jason Kidd that I think gets overlooked a lot is Anadokounmpo was really raw when he came into the NBA, and I don't, I don't think many people could have foreseen him becoming this point forward that he has become, and I think Jason Kidd deserves a lot of credit for that. I'll, I'll always remember two or three summers ago when he said straight up that we're, we're going to have this guy play point guard, and at the time, it, I mean, that was eye-opening or eye-popping for a lot of people, um, but it's worked. Putting the ball in Giannis's hands um, has turned him into a superstar. And obviously, Honor deserves a ton of credit for that because he's the one putting in the work to become the player that he's become. Um, but I think Jason Kidd probably deserves some credit too. I, I think he's had a lot to do with that development. And I, I'm not close or privy to what's going on with the Bucks front office, but it seems like they're mostly fine with Jason Kidd. So, um, just because there are rumblings, I'll put him a little bit higher than the one that I've given so many other coaches. I'll, I'll just say two, but I, I think he's probably safe.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're probably right, and the Bucks have done a better job forcing turnovers recently. They're now fourth um, in opponent turnover percentage. Uh, th- there are just, I don't know, there are aspects of even their offense, which has probably been the bright spot for them for much of this season. Like, yeah, they still really push the ball After defensive rebounds, but now they're not as efficient on those possessions. They're 14th in points per possession uh, after grabbing a defensive rebound, and they they rank third in pace in those pace in those situations according to Impredictable. It's just just you look at the nuance, and I'm just not impressed with them this year. And again, they just got Eric Bledsoe, so it would be that there are more expectations there. But that's they would have to really be they would have to be outside the playoff picture around the, the all-star break for them to consider making the mid season change in my opinion. And I don't think they'll be outside the playoff picture. So I'll, I'll go with
0: and, a three that bled. So Akumpo um, combo is working really well right now. When those two are on the floor together, they're only giving up 92.4 points per hundred possessions.
1: What's their offensive rating again?
0: 104.3. So yeah, with a net of 11. 11.9. So that's working out well right now and, and could even get better as they develop more chemistry. So I think he's probably safe.
1: Um, a couple of really quick hitters here um just to get your take on um, the Pelicans with Alvin Gentry is that something they they've been better than i think a lot of people have expected DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis have been absolutely Unreal. fantastic yeah, yeah. They, it's their numbers are just absolutely ridiculous and the Pelicans are destroying people when those two are in the game and we can talk about their workload and whether it's sustainable we're talking about two top 15 players so uh, you know it's going to be relatively sustainable uh, they're playing themselves into like this awkward territory, though, because I, I would say if they don't make the playoffs, he's gone n- this summer. But now you're at a point where I don't think they're necessarily going to know whether they're playoff locks or not by the the All Star break. So it- does that factor into it at all? I- I- I'm just going to say no, and I think the hot seat is kind of cooled for him. I think entering the the season, he he was on there a little bit, and I would probably put him at a. Three, maybe a four just because of the delicate uh, nature of the situation and also because I actually did just look. The Pelicans are no longer destroying opponents. With I just looked that up too. Floor. Plus 3.3 3 per 100 possessions, which is fine. It's it's not great. So I'm, I'm going to give him – I'll lean towards a four just because it's a very fragile situation. If there's even like this streak, this downturn, uh, that he could then find himself very quickly out of a job.
0: I actually ran the numbers for that duo on NBA Wowie. Earlier today, um, and like you said, their their two men net rating is down a little bit. It, the Pelicans are about the same when Davis is on the floor and Cousins is off, um, as they are when both are on. But when Cousins is on and Davis is off, they're outscored by about ten points per hundred possessions. Um, just something to think about. I think Alvin Gentry, like a lot of the other guys we've talked about, I, I think you can you can blame the front office a little bit more than the coaching. In this situation, it wasn't a roster that was, um, and they, I mean, it was, it would have been hard for them to build something around these two. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of moves that they could have made, uh, this summer. So I, I mean, it's hard to, to place a ton of blame on anybody, but at the same time, like you said, these are two top 10 to 15 players. And if you can't make the playoffs with two top 10 to 15 players, um, you know, traditionally heads roll. In the NBA or professional sports in general, so uh, I am. Go- you said three. I'm going to go with a three on this one as well.
1: And just the final one would be really quickly. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, Lillard, Damian Lillard, commented on Instagram um, to fans who were kind of complaining about the Blazers' relatively slow start. And I can only assume they've been talking about the offense because the team is above 500 and their defense has been unreal they rank second in points allowed per 100 possessions and they're 10 and 7 so it seems like a weird thing to complain about and he he stuck up for his coach and i think that make makes me want to say yeah well then terry stats is a one it's, again, it's another situation. I know I'm repeating myself. It'll be easier to change the coach because they have all these contracts, many of which aren't immovable, and now you have to think about paying Nurkic at the end of this year. But to fire him midseason, I, I just don't see it happening. And I think you want – if your star player is going to support your coach – like, this is what he said. Everybody that has something to say about Coach Stotts doesn't know a damn thing about what it takes to win a close game. Players have to play and get the job done. Our coaches put us into positions to do what we need to do, and we just got to get it done. We're 8-7 and seven and should probably be 12-3 or 11-4, and four, but all things considered, we will find it, and as always, get it done, shaking my head. And then the Blazers, like, tweeted that, on like a screenshot of it on Twitter. So that was it's, cool, yeah. It's, it's really tough for me to drum up, like, kind of artificial concern there and um, – uh, like Maybe the Blazers should be a little bit better, but they, they haven't been necessarily terrible in close games. Their their offense is a problem. Uh, it's it's not potent at all. If you look at their rating in the clutch, they're 20th. But their defense is still good in those situations. And I think I wrote about this at Bleacher Report. If people want to check it out, I wrote about why I think their defense could be sort of sustainable. And if you have McComb and Lillard, I would guess you figure things out offensively. So I'm going to go with a hard one for Stotts. I don't want to put them at a zero, but I'll go hard one.
0: I'll go a one there too. Um, that Lillard quote was cool. I, I, I saw the Blazers tweet that out the other day. When Lillard and McCollum are on the floor, um, two people who two players have been notoriously bad defensively. I mean, their defense has been picked apart by a ton of different riders at a bunch of different outlets over the last few years. But those two guys on the floor this season, Portland's surrendering 101.6 points per hundred possessions. Um, the Warriors' team defense is 101.4. So. Damn. To be able to build a defense as good as Portland's is with those two guys leading your team uh, in minutes, uh, that's that's great coaching. Um, having a great defense, is uh, I, I think it has a lot to do with the sort of attitude that a coach can instill in his players, um, and they've clearly bought into something on the defensive end because they're, like you said, they're the second best defense in the league right now, trailing only the crazy Boston Celtics. So that's in. That's an easy one for and, me, too.
1: Yeah, and that entering their game last night, uh, there were only two teams that were forcing more shots between 15 and 19 feet, which is where you want opponents to shoot from. And it's, oh, that's I, a
0: good nugget, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm fine. i fine. Even they're th- shooting 39% from three as a team for the season, fourth best mark in the league, and I look at this roster, and it's just there. there aren't shooters on this team. Like they're, they're, just
0: and, the, those and even Dame isn't shooting well yet.
1: No, and they're not shooting a, a, like a ton of threes necessarily so i but still if you're gonna hit the one like that's kind of the spurs approach like okay maybe they won't be hitting a ton they're taking under 25 per game 28th in the league if you break it down per 100 possessions it's they i think they fall a little bit higher um so i I, like the rate isn't terrible but they, they don't look like they have a ton of shooters on the team and yet I I don't know. Maybe the offense will get there and they're 27th and three pointers attempted per 100 possessions. So it's just, I'm that they're accurate on the ones they take is probably a little bit of a testament to him as well.
0: Yeah. I actually think Portland's a little bit better than I expected. Um, that's just my final say on the matter. Did we uh, both
1: have them out of the playoffs as the the real final say on the matter when we were doing – were they to, I don't. We, we I don't remember for sure. Over.
0: Maybe it was the Pelicans, but I think it might have been the Blazers. I think I had the Pelicans out too. I, I know I had the Blazers in that mix that was a possible I, I think I had the Blazers out strong.
1: so people can feel free to yell at me if they want.
0: Yeah, and they can do that uh, on Twitter where you're at Dan Favelli. If you want to talk to us about – Any of the coaches that we put on a hot seat or didn't put on a hot seat, let us know. um, If you think your team's coach doesn't deserve to be there or vice versa. Uh, Again, Dan's at Dan Favali, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. Like Dan said at the beginning, uh, review the show, rate the show, subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe. Again, we're going to do a little giveaway where you just have to take a screenshot that proves that you uh, subscribed rated and reviewed the show and you can win one of those really cool t-shirts from nbamath.com so look out for that on twitter as well and until next time we leave you with a shout out to kyle anderson and bino udry hi it's jamie progressives employee of the month two months in a row leave a message at the